0: Take out your handout sheet that was given to you at the front door. Let's take out our Bibles. Let's get going. We are in part 16 of our Wake Up series through the book of Isaiah. And this morning's message is entitled, Wake Up to Only One Savior. There is a problem occurring in our world today, and it is only getting ever increasingly worse. And that is that people believe that there are options to get saved. People are believing that there are many religions that lead to heaven. That you have the ability to kind of go around and see what works for you. If you don't find any categories that work, you're going to hybrid your own, put them together, and you'll be kind of a a, a Buddha Baptist, right? Or you're going to kind of you know allow you know Mormonism and Taoism to blend and somehow. that's going to save you Uh, here's the reality of the situation Uh, that is not true there is only one name under heaven by which we can be saved and that is Jesus Christ and when everyone else in the world looks at that they look at the church and the, the Christianity and they say how elitist of you Uh, Among the many options, you say yours is the right way. That is rude. That is narrow minded. That is arrogant. And I would say if the scenario is true, that there are many options and we say ours is the best. They are correct. But if there is only one option and you promote the option of life, it's not narrow minded. It's just reality. Famous analogy of all time. In my mind about this issue If you have a disease that you're about to die of And I come up with a vaccine The only vaccine to you And you say what else you got There's a problem with you Say thank God there's a vaccine And just take it Our reaction should not be a Why is it so limited But why would there be grace at all Why, why would God make a way There are not many saviors lined up There is one He's the only one that showed up to save us. He is the only one that matters. And the whole idea that you want to allow all these religions to work together and say, "Well, it doesn't really matter." They can all—they all have somewhat cohesive worldviews. Now, I am biased. I believe that that Christianity is the only one with a truly cohesive reality. Otherwise, I would be a different religion. Uh, I, I believe in Christianity because it's right, not because it works for me. What do you mean works for me? Christianity's rough. I, I'm not a Christian because it works for me. I'm a Christian because it's the only reality. That's why I am here. And to say that all these religions can just, oh, let's just let everybody work together. In their worldviews, they are not compatible. You cannot Take a Mormon elder and place him in a Buddhist temple and it would work. It doesn't fly. You bring, if I bring an Im- imam in here from the Muslim religion and I say, hey, how cool are you with Hinduism, with various gods? What do you think he's going to say? Absolutely not. There is none but Allah. They are not compatible worldviews. Everybody goes, well, they're all just trying to be nice. No, they're not. They do not work together. They will not work together because the worldviews clash. The Bible says there is one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Son of God came down here in the flesh and rescued us. He is the gateway by which to get to heaven You do not get to plan another way. You will not be good enough to get in outside of Jesus. You cannot trust in any other name. You cannot go to any other God, for there are no other gods. He is not one of many options. He is the only option. Therefore, the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. Amen. The the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Only Jesus leads to heaven. Only Jesus leads to heaven. Let's transition. Where are we at in this series? Well, we are actually in chapters 42. Chapters 42 and 43. I gave Casey, who is sitting here in the uh, congregation here today, I gave him a job to do. I told him to teach 40 and 41. He failed me. He taught 40 real well and bailed out on 41. I uh, gave yeah, Right on. <laughs> I am not backing up because of his failure. I am advancing forward. Uh, we, we went through the passage together and uh, I was talking to him about the idea that what we're trying not to do is to duplicate some pieces that we've already touched on or that we will continue to touch on. And as he was led, he continued to focus on some pieces that God had accelerated in his heart. And so in doing so, he continued uh, the series through mostly focusing on chapter 40. Understand that you did not miss anything in 41. We are going to continue to grab all those concepts, but we are beginning today in chapter chapter 42. If you'd like to turn there, this is the first of what is called four servant songs. Servant songs uh, are very significant in Isaiah. Uh, A lot of them talk about the Messiah, but I need you to understand the concept of servant or what I'm about to read will get very, very confusing. Servant biblically means an agent upon the earth that carries out the will of God. Yeah. That's it. Just remember that someone or something on the earth carrying out the will of God as he wishes it, that is a servant. Therefore, the term servant can apply to what? A lot of things. There are three primary servants mentioned in Isaiah. There's King Cyrus that is only reflected upon briefly. King Cyrus was called the servant of God. He was a pagan king. He was the pagan king of the Persian people. Why is he called a servant of God? Because God used him as an instrument here on earth to carry out his will that Israel might be able to go home. He will be reflected on. The two major servants reflected upon in Isaiah are Israel and Jesus. Israel, the Messiah. Israel and the Anointed One. The concept of servant is simply this. Adam was a servant of God. God creates Adam and he says, I want you to be my steward. I want you to carry out my will here on earth. But Adam loved his sin more than God. And he failed. Israel was created out of nothing. Pulled from a polytheistic Abram guy pulled out of nowhere, revealed himself to this man, created a people group. The Jews flowed from Abraham, and they became the salt and light of the world. They were the servant of God on the earth. If God wanted to communicate something to the world, he was going to channel it directly through Israel out into the world. They failed. They loved their sin more than God. Two thousand years ago, God said, I will take it upon myself, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to come into this world to be the servant that everyone else failed to be. He comes in and does the will of his father to a T in all perfection, in all sinlessness. He comes in and obeys everything. Carries out righteousness, fulfills all vision. When he gets done, he can say to his father, it is finished. I did everything you asked me to do. I lost none given to me, and I advanced your kingdom, and we are now ready to go. What's intriguing is that God always has a servant in the world. There will always be a remnant. So who is the servant now? Jesus said, it's better that I go away. Why? That I might be able to send the Holy Spirit to indwell you. Do you understand that the church is now the primary, not only, the primary servant of God to carry out the will of God on the earth? How are we doing with that role? Do we love our sin more than God? Are we failing as well? I would suggest to you we are. We cannot condemn israel for that which we ourselves do it doesn't make sense we love sin too much and god too little and that is why i believe we come to church we want to be different we want to be transformed it is a battle i get it but know this the only reason why true israel and the church which by the way that is god's remnant on the earth The church did not replace Israel. The church is grafted in with Israel. That's different. Be careful with that one. The only reason why true Israel and the church have not been cast aside like all the other servants that failed is because of the indwelling Holy Spirit. God will not throw away himself. The Holy Spirit is upon all children of God, is within all children of God, and is our guarantee that he will get us home. Today is an encouraging message. Today is a message about salvation. Today is a message about our king. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 42, verse 1. Behold, It says, take notice, pause, consider, take notice of my servant. That's the Messiah, the representative in the world. He said, whom I uphold, whom I sustain, whom I uh, empower, whom I direct. He is my chosen in Luke 835 on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember this story? Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, the inner three, takes them up on a mountain. There, a cloud descends upon them. Two guys show up. Anybody remember who they were? Elijah and Moses. They show up. Man, that's got to freak you out. I don't even know how they knew them. Maybe they read their lanyards. (laughs) Name tags. I don't know. Peter's freaking out, man, it's so great that they're here, God. We've got to set up something so we can hang on to them. And he's like, man, you are missing the whole point. Jesus starts to glow. You see the glory of God emanate out of the very core of Jesus Christ. And a voice comes out of heaven. This is my son. He is my chosen one. Listen to him. You think that wasn't a fulfillment of Isaiah? Remember, I told you, Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament all the time. A lot of what Jesus did and fulfilled and talked about are direct references to Isaiah. Israel was looking for a Messiah. Isaiah talked about the Messiah. Jesus was that Messiah. That's kind of how it works. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. Do you remember at the baptism of Jesus Christ? A voice comes from heaven and says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. That's a fulfillment of Isaiah. I have put my spirit upon him when. Baptism. And I saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove. He will bring forth justice to the nations. A new way of leadership. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. He's not going to lead a raucous rebellion. He's not going to lead an insurrection of let's fight against Rome and let's go crazy. And come on, guys, everybody grab your swords. Let's devastate the enemy. He will not do that. At least not the first time. He came in quiet. He came in subtle. As a matter of fact, they barely even saw him show up at all. His first miracle was at a wedding feast. How many people were at the wedding feast? I don't know, but it wasn't all of Israel. He comes in quiet, insidious. It says, A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. I'll tell you one of the masterful things about Jesus. All the other Leaders, all the other deliverers. I mean, think about Samson, Jephthah. These guys are warriors. They come in. All right, let's go. Let's go. Saddle up. Everybody lock and load. We kill everyone, right? They come in and we will fight. And don't you look like a whim. Come on, man. What are you doing? You know, it's this whole attack and devastate and destroy. And Jesus comes in and nails down and he goes, were you crying? What? No, I saw you. I wasn't even walking by that fast. You okay? Well, no, Lord, I... All right, let's talk about it. That was our Jesus. You know, that's why we love him, right? It's not this run over. It says he will not snuff out the burning wick. They, they had a, a lamps so that we don't usually deal with them this way, the oil lamps where it sucks up the oil through the wick and then it, it can only burn as long as there's oil in the lamp. Well, when the oil dries up, it starts to kind of go out. Yeah, that's what it means. In, in our modern day and the way we look at it, if you ever watch the candle burn because you have no life and you're just totally bored. You watch the candle and as it melts all the wax, the wax kind of rises up. Have you ever seen that where it kind of starts rising up on the wick? And the wick's like, ah, ah, let's keep my head above water, right? It's like, can't breathe, can't go anymore, right? That, that little wick guy, you know what I mean? The little wick's about to go out. That's what he's talking about. Is that how you feel? Because that's what he said. When Jesus the Messiah comes on, he's seen Israel who has been decimated by their leaders. They're beat up. They're oppressed. They're forgotten. The religious system of the time said, you're not good enough. Nobody even likes you. If you can't do this, if you can't do that, if you don't have this status, if you don't have this money, you can't even be a part of us. You're not perfect. You're cast out. Jesus comes walking in and he sees these broken people. His heart is moved. And he says, don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. You're all right with me? Do you understand why people flocked around Jesus? Do you understand why all these outcasts would run in because finally a rabbi would look them in the eye and speak of their value? That's what it means. He will faithfully bring forth justice for the oppressed, the needy, the unrepresented. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. What do you mean the coastlands? So Jesus is coming to the beach, right? Is that what it means? Huntington Beach. No. No, when you live in an ancient world and your maps only go so far, the coastlands are kind of the edge of the world. That's Gentile territory. So to a Jew, this is a little shocking. They're like, wait, 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 what do you mean the Gentiles wait for your law? The Gentiles don't have any interest in you at all. Oh, they will. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and whose spirit to those whose walk in it. This is the master of the universe now speaking to mankind. He says, verse 6, I am Yahweh. The personal covenant name of God. The name that says, I'm not just any God, I'm your personal God. I'm here to rescue you. I'm here to be with you. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand, guide you, direct you. I will keep you and protect you, Messiah. I will give you as a covenant a promise contract for the people, Israel and the Gentiles. You will be a light for the nations. Anybody remember Jesus quoting this stuff? And I am the light of the world. You remember that. He's fulfilling Isaiah. Isaiah. And he will open the eyes that are blind. Quick question. Physically or spiritually? Yes. (laughs) To bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. Emotionally or spiritually? Yes. From the prison that those who sit in darkness, lost, alone, abandoned, and helpless. I am the Lord. That is my name. When the Bible says name, it does not mean title. It means identity. That is who I am, who I am is master, who I am as I walk in and I change things. I am the Lord. That is my name, my glory. I give to no other nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things. I now declare before they spring forth. I will tell my servant of them. Jesus said, I'm here to reveal the will of the father. I only speak what my father tells me to speak. Then I paraphrase 10 through 13. Let all the world sing a new song of God's might in restoring his people. Verse 14. For a long time, God said, I have held my peace. I have kept still and I restrain myself. Now he's speaking partly in the future. Israel was captured in 586 BC. Judah was captured by the Babylonians and held in captivity for 70 years until King Cyrus let them go home. Is that what he's talking about? He held his peace for 70 years, not wanting to discipline them, knowing it was best for them, but in his love for them, wanted to rescue them. That tension that God feels all the time. I love them desperately, but they won't listen to me. So I have to bring discipline upon them. And I don't want to discipline them, but I have to for their own good. Or is he talking about from all eternity he's kept restrained? I think he's probably talking about both, right? But now I'm gonna cry out like a woman in labor. I will gasp and pant. I will get full vent. To my emotion and my passion. Verse 15. I will lay waste mountains and hills and dry up their vegetation. I will turn the rivers into islands. I will dry up the pools. I will lead my spiritually clueless blind Israel in a way that they do not know. In paths they have not known, I will guide them. That is fresh places. I will turn the darkness before them into light, the rough places into level ground. These are the things I do and I don't fail. You know what's so cool about that? Jesus can get you home. Are there any obstacles he can't get through? But Lord, I'm, I'm faithless. I know. That's not going to shut me down. But God, I'm just weak. I know. I have more strength than you do anyway. I wasn't relying on yours. Oh, but God, I've sinned. The Sin. You don't know the depth of the sin. I don't know the depth of your sin. Right. Oh, I'm quite clear. But I take care of that. Where sin abounds, grace abounds more. If I want to get you home, nothing will stand in my way. If you have the Holy Spirit, I have a guarantee I will get you home. You cannot get shut down. No one can block you from me. There is no obstacle that can shut you down. I will transform you. I will rescue you. I have gone to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come back and bring you to be with me. When God rescues, God rescues. Nobody shuts that down. Yet in Israel, there are those who trust in idols still and not God. Verse 19. Who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Whoa. What? I thought we were talking about Jesus, the servant. Nope. Just switched it on you. Servant switch. No, we're talking about Israel now. Okay? Remember, servant has multiple meanings. It's talking about Israel. Who is blind as my dedicated one? Blind as the servant of the Lord. He, meaning Israel, sees many things but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. A paraphrase, he said, I lifted up my law to Israel, but they didn't listen, so they will be handed over by God to be judged and burned. And Jerusalem was sieged, as I told you, in 586 and burned to the ground. Is it any wonder that Jesus had this famous message, he who has ears, let him hear? Yeah? Israel was deaf. God had been calling and calling and calling, and they're just not listening. I ask you now, are you listening and attuned to the voice of God? Or do you have so many other things that are more important in your mind? I'm not not talking about, are you paying attention during the message? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about at home. You walk out of this building. Are you hearing God? Why are you not hearing God? Why are you not listening to God? He's crying out, he's talking to you, he, di- he guides you, he directs you. But are we even listening? Or are we those crowds that follow around Jesus because we want to see flash, or we want provision, or we want something from him, but we're not listening? Wow. I don't know. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, Israel, I made you from nothing. Oh, Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters or any obstacle, I will be with you through the rivers. They shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Wait, 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 wait. If God's a savior and Jesus is a savior, that means Jesus is God. Hmm. Why did they crucify Christ? When even they picked up stones to stone him, he said, for which miracle do you stone me? And they said, for none of these, but you, a mere man, claim to be God. I will give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes, honored, and I love you. Anybody seeing the squishy words going on here? This is Old Testament, right? No, Old Testament's all mean God. No, it's not. Stop it. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit killed Ananias and Sapphira. Same God, Old Testament, New Testament. Same squishies, different scenario. Right. I love you. I'm with you. This whole notion, this is what kills me about a lot of movements and churches throughout history, is that they give a dry view of God as if he's not personal. That's not biblical. You are being called into a personal relationship with your God. He did not save you to remain distant from you. He did not save you to yell at you from far away. He saved you that you might be with him, know him. He know you. He be with you. That's why you are saved. Your God wants to walk and talk and live with you every day. Amen. fear not I'm with you and I will call in the four corners of the earth those that are mine verse 7 everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory who I'm formed and made pause some of you need to soak that in you need to underline that why? because you think you're worthless you don't have that right you do not get to determine your value Other people around you do not have the freedom to determine your value. God determines your value. He said, I made you. Stop telling me I messed up. I formed you. I know what happened to you. I've orchestrated the events of your life. You are precious to me. You are loved by me care so desperately for you, and you keep saying, God, I'm garbage. You're not garbage. I don't make that. I put my image in you. I put my spirit in you. Don't tell me you are hopeless. I am your hope. Do not chase me away, telling me that it's only darkness and despair. It is not, though the chemical levels in your mind would say so. Though the emotions of the day would say so. Though the scenarios around you and the circumstances of your life and the the poor and bad things that happen around you may crush your spirit, you cannot let them define you. You are mine. And you have ultimate value. I do not send my son to die for waste. bring out the people who's he talking to king cyrus bring out my people who are blind yet have eyes who are deaf yet have ears israel may the whole world acknowledge in court that i'm the only god you are my witnesses verse 10 declares the lord my servant whom i have chosen that you may know and believe me that understand that i am he before me no god was formed nor will there be any after me i i am the lord and beside me there is no savior y'all hear that there's no plan b jesus that's it no plan b I declared and saved and proclaimed when there, were, when there were no more options, no strange God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God, and henceforth I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work who can shut me down. Paraphrase, I, God, will shut down the Babylonians too when I'm done with them, just as I shut down Egypt and brought my people out. But, verse 18, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? This is cool. The Israel people lived looking backwards. Man, you remember that whole story about the Red Sea? And it was just like, oh my gosh, walls of water, and there's fish swimming on the side, and all that, right? And we're walking through on dry ground. You remember that water comes out of a rock, and there was manna, and there was craziness. Whoa, man, you remember the plagues that rained down on Egypt and and you remember all that And now sudden God comes in and he's doing this miraculous stuff here and they always look backwards and they had festivals about looking backwards. Jesus comes on the scene and he goes, you ain't seen nothing yet. What what are you talking about? Like, are you going to do like do miracles like Moses? Well, you think I only got one way to do stuff? No, no, no. You do not pour new wine into old wine skins. No, we're going all new. Is that not why we just took communion? Behold, a new covenant in my blood. I'm doing a new thing. You will not have to look backwards for my power. How about looking forwards? Check this out. Let me make it practical for you. We are hurtling toward the end times. The Bible says that as the end times gets closer, Jesus and the kingdom will press in on us and begin to force the darkness to get agitated. There's prophecies about signs in the sky. Sons and daughters will prophesy, dreaming dreams, miracles, eruption of revival upon God's people. You ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, we are just starting we are just starting to roll, where we begin to see God move. We look at things like Acts. I've been reading through the book of Acts and just blowing my mind, and I pray, God, yes, yes, this is what we want. This is what we're chasing after. God's might and power are rolling full force. This is the future. This is not just, oh man, that was awesome back then, and now nothing else goes on. Are you in your life looking forward and going, my Christianity, my walk with Jesus Christ, my relationship is ever accelerating. More wonderful things are future for me. Or are you still looking back to your college days and how you used to witness and God used to move? Come on now, that's not right. Yet despite my kindness and goodness, Israel has not honored me in their temple, but they have wearied me with their religion. Verse 25. And I, I'm the guy who forgives your sins. Y'all remember that. I'm the one who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. Put me in remembrance. Let us argue together. Set forth your case that you may be proved right. Your first father sinned. And all the mediators after that. Your priests, your prophets... They've transgressed. They sinned against me. Therefore, I will profane the princes of the sanctuary, meaning Israel's priests, and I will deliver Israel to utter destruction and Israel to reviling. Well, that was discouraging at the end there. Everything was going awesome until that last part. (laughs) But isn't that the tension? Isn't that the tension Israel, I love you. I love you. I love you. Why do we have to go down this destruction road? I really don't like it. I would much rather bring joy into your life. I want to be with you. I want you to be with me. Why can't we go on vacation? Why are you always grounded? And boy, isn't it like that in our own lives? God loves me one day. I mean, if you guys read my journal, you would swear I was schizophrenic. I read my, I've been writing my journal, right, this whole year. I'm doing this prayer time in the morning. I'm writing all my prayers out and I'm just like, God, you are good. You are good. Right. I'm like doing all this little, woo, and I'm making making hearts over my eyes and stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) The next day, God, why? You know, it's all in, you know, it's written with my left hand and it's just, (laughs) God, everything's awesome. No, everything's terrible. But there is that Tension. There's that tension at all times. I love you. Can we please walk in victory? Jesus gave us an easy yoke, a light burden.
1: Boy, do we mess that
0: one up. It doesn't have to be that way where everything's hard all the time, at least not internally. There is a way of joy, and that way of joy is called surrender. Surrender by a moment-by-moment basis to say, yes, Lord, I want to do it your way. But, boy, we struggle against that one, yeah? That's a tough one. Uh, Let me close in prayer, and I'll give you the final challenge. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for teaching us, loving on us, giving us your word that we don't have to guess. Father, come upon us with your power That we are not the same every day, but we are ever increasingly rising to becoming the people you've designed us to be. God, rescue us from ourselves. Put our eyes upon you. Lead us into exciting territory. Capture our heart and dilute the lure of temptation. We praise you because you are good. We praise you because you are wonderful. You are a good shepherd. You are a great king. God, help us to re-rack our head and our perspective to see you as you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Closing challenge is this. If Jesus is your only option, that means your other options are idols. Or you're trying to save yourself through your own works. Now, whatever causes an unhealthy change or attitude, personality, or focus when it becomes threatened in your life, that might be an idol. What do we do with it? Repent.